The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this rich, rich psalm. This is the very word of God, Lord. We approach not just any word, but this is your sacred word, the God-inspired word, the word without error. And Lord, so we come to this Bible, this word, penned by David, but moved on by the Holy Spirit. Lord, help it uh, to teach us. Help us, Lord, to be fed by it and to get a far better grasp of you, our shepherd, than we have ever had in Jesus' mighty name. Breathe a prayer, dear church, and just say, Lord, speak to my heart. Expand my understanding of who you are in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, the Lord is your shepherd. Amen. Amen, amen. Now, um, just a little bit of background. I like to do this when I start a series, give you... Just a little heads up on just some orientation of this particular psalm. It is without question the most quoted psalm and one of the best known passages in the entire Bible. You could go up to almost anybody and say, where did the Lord is my shepherd come from? And, and they would tell you Psalms 23. It's commonly used in the context of death and it's quoted regularly at funeral services uh, I, I use it all the time when I'm presiding over a funeral service. But you know what? Psalms 23 is really actually not a psalm to die by. It's a psalm to live by. It supremely maps out for us a beautiful picture of the Christian walk with our great shepherd of the sheep. Now notice its opening declaration. The Lord is my shepherd sets the stage for everything that's going to follow. Our Lord, your Lord, my Lord, protects us, guides us. He's our shepherd. He rules over our life as we in turn surrender to his will. He is good. He loves us. And he will lay down his life to protect us from danger. And he did lay down his life to protect us from danger. David is the author, and David was a shepherd himself. Therefore, the 23rd Psalm was written from the experiential viewpoint of one who was intimately familiar with caring for sheep. He knew exactly what he was talking about. This psalm is not theoretical. This psalm is experiential. This is David talking out of the crucible of his own experience and, and, and comparing what he understood in his own shepherding real sheep and God's shepherding of us. And he's drawing a parallel. Each verse springs from genuine knowledge 
of what it was to herd real sheep, care for them, protect them, and guide them. You know, it's not a compliment that God calls us sheep. Can I say that again? It's not really a compliment. Now, God loves me. God loves you. But it's not a compliment because sheep's middle name is D-U-M-B. Now, now I'm, not, I'm pointing to me as I point to you. But it is not by mistake that God calls us sheep, the sheep of his pasture. Because we tend to be, in many different ways, D-U-M-B. You can have a real high IQ and do D-U-M-B things. Amen? Uh, you, you can look great on the outside and still go do D-U-M-B things. You can come to church, hallelujah, praise the Lord, kumbaya, and walk right out and do something D-U-M-B. Some of us did something D-U-M-B today, some yesterday, but, but it's no revelation to us if we're honest. You know, if you ever wonder how to humble yourself, just say, remember, self, you are a sheep. Therefore, you do D-U-M-B things. Now, when we first meet David in the Bible, it's as a young shepherd. He's called out of the field. You know, Samuel, the great prophet, has showed up at Jesse, his father's house, David's father's house. And he has come on a mission. He's going to anoint the next king. He looks at all of David's brothers. They're all tall, handsome, outstanding, athletic, impressive. And he is certain by the, by the look of his eye by the judgment of his natural eye, that one of these boys is the future king. And it's an ixnay on every one of them until they're, they're all done and there's no one left. And Samuel has to say, is there anyone else? And almost with apology, Jesse says, well, th- there's one more. He's out in the field shepherding sheep. Samuel said, go get him. And as soon as David walked in, the Holy Ghost said to Samuel, that's the one. Who did God pick? A shepherd. He picked a shepherd. We also know from David's own testimony that he had twice laid his life on the line when the flock was attacked by both a lion and a bear, both of which David killed in very dramatic fashion, miraculously, by anointing. He grabbed them by the beard and literally slew them... um, with his bare hands. Now, how you do that, I don't know, except the anointing of God is on you. Okay? And, of course, that, those victories prepared him for the Goliath who was to come. But the, the bottom line is, David was a type of Christ who willingly laid his life down for his lambs. I don't know how many of us, if we were watching over some sheep, and a, and a bear comes walking out of the wilderness and starts to attack them, I don't know how many of us would go, you know what? I'm going to attack that bear and put my life on the, li- on the line to save those little lambs. I don't know that any of us would put our life on the line, put, put us in at risk of <clears throat> being chewed up alive just to save a sheep, a dumb one. But he did, and that's how he was Christ-like, type of Christ <clears throat> in the Old Testament. So it is this real-life shepherd, shepherd king of Israel, who pens the most famous psalm in the Bible and one of the most beloved poems in the world. Probably the best-known poem in the whole world is the 23rd Psalm. 
So let's begin with the very first five words. They are easy. Say it with me again. Are you ready? The Lord is my shepherd. Now I want us to brag a little bit. Instead of saying, the Lord is my shepherd, I want us to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Can we do it? One, two, three. The Lord is my shepherd. Hallelujah. (laughs) Glory to God. He's just not a shepherd out there, but the Lord is mine. He's my shepherd, and I'm proud of him. Amen? Now, the Hebrew word that David uses for Lord here, the Lord is my shepherd, is Jehovah. In the Psalms, Jehovah is often spoken of as the shepherd of Israel, and Israel as his flock. The prophet Isaiah beautifully describes Jehovah's shepherding care for the returning exiles in Isaiah 40, verse 11. He says he will feed his flock, the returning exiles. Isn't that something? His flock, like a shepherd. They were in exile because they had been in sin. But when he's bringing them back to retake Jerusalem and build the walls and the temple and everything else, what does God call them? You're my flock. God forgave them, brought them back into the fold. You're my flock. And then... He says, he will feed his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs with his arm. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. And that's our God. Amen. Jacob speaks of the God who shepherded me. The title of shepherd is also applied to Bible rulers and in particular to David and to the future king, Jesus of whom David, as I've already said tonight, was a type. He was a type of Christ. And remember when Jesus uh, referred to himself as a shepherd. Now, he referred to himself as many things. I'm the bread of life. I am the light of the world. Uh, I am this. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He identified himself with many adjectives, but one of them was, I'm the good shepherd. And how do you know I'm a good shepherd? Because the good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. The good shepherd will lay his life down. The hireling who doesn't care for the sheep will flee when there's danger. But the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. And that's how you know he's good. Now we notice in the opening verse, the Lord is my shepherd, that David is not speaking as a shepherd, but as a sheep, as one of the flock. The Lord is my shepherd. Yes, I'm a shepherd. I shepherd sheep. And if he wrote this when he had become king of Israel, then I'm the shepherd of the nation. But guess what? When I come to you, Lord, no, no, no. I'm just a sheep and you're my shepherd. He speaks with a strong sense of pride and admiration that I just brought out to you. The Lord is my shepherd. He's not just a shepherd, but he's mine. He almost seems to be saying, look at my shepherd. Isn't he incredible? Isn't he awesome? Isn't he wonderful? Amen? And I wonder if that's how we do Jesus when we're out there in public. Because if you put David out there, he would have said, the Lord is my shepherd. I'm not ashamed to own him. I'm not ashamed to confess him. He's my shepherd. He's my shepherd. My shepherd. Now, now we're going to glean from what this psalm really teaches us about real shepherding and real sheep. David knew by experience that a sheep's well-being depended entirely on who his shepherd was. 
Some shepherds were kind and gentle, feather sheep faithfully cared for their safety. David had observed that under the owner, under the owner, a sheep would either flourish or starve, struggle or rest, be safe or fall to wild animals. It all depended on the owner, all depended on the shepherd, all depended on who they were submitted to, but particularly who owned them, who owned them. We see in this opening verse that while all the universe is at our Lord's beck and call, his focus is on the sheep of his pasture, and that means you and me. His focus is on us. Do you believe that? Well, if you believe that the Lord is your shepherd, then you believe that because a real shepherd always has his eye peeled on his sheep. He's always watching those sheep. And and, and so if you believe that he is your shepherd and that when a man is a shepherd, even the man will keep his eye on the sheep at all times lest a predator come and take them away or they fall into some hole or whatever. He's always watching them, then how much more and how much better does God always watch us? Listen, I'm so glad to know that my God has insomnia every night. He watches, while I'm sleeping, he's watching. Amen? While I'm sleeping, he's watching me and he's watching you. Are you thankful for that? Give the Lord praise tonight. Come on. And and when you stop and think about it, among all the adjectives with which... God has named himself in the Bible. He's chosen shepherd to be one of them. The Lord is my real, true, genuine, watchful, caring, providing, protecting shepherd. He really is. Think with me for a minute. On the cross, Jesus gave his life. Why? Why did he give his life? So that we might come under his benevolent care. He knew that we were under a cruel taskmaster. Listen, everybody, the devil. He's a cruel taskmaster. He's a cruel owner. He actually owned us until the Lord purchased us out of his control and power. But he owned us. And before we knew Jesus, I ask you tonight, were you under a cruel taskmaster or what? Did did sin ever really do anything good for you? Y'all have got the case of the no-nods tonight, so I'm, I'm going to have to... Did, did, did sin ever bless you? Did it, Really? Did, did the consequences of sin ever make your life better? When you were following what the devil wanted you to do, was the devil good to you ever in any way, shape, or form? No, no. Where were you when the real good shepherd got hold of you? Look where you were. And look where you would have been, had amazing grace, how sweet the sound, not reached down and touched you where you are and pulled you out of a horrible pit. So literally, Jesus gave his very life to deliver us from such a cruel tyrant that he might shepherd us. See, this is what I'm wanting uh, us to really get a grip on as we go through this series, that every day that we wake up, there's a shepherd waiting to lead us. All through the day, that shepherd wants to guide us. All through our week, he wants his, his rod and staff to comfort us. He wants to lead us to pastures of tender grass. He wants to lead us to streams and brooks of clear, clean, pure, Holy Ghost water.
He's our shepherd. Now, Isaiah painted all of humanity in shepherd's terms, as we've mentioned already tonight. Listen to how Isaiah describes humanity. All we like sheep. What do we do? Like sheep. We went astray. Nobody has to help us go astray. We go astray very well on our own. Thank you. Nobody has to come and help us go astray. We just go astray. We've turned everyone to whose way? His way? Whose way? Our own way. Our own way. So we go astray in our own way. So what are we inclined to do as D-U-M-B sheep? We are inclined. We are inclined to stray away from the shepherd and to pursue our own route, our own path, our own way, our own desires, our own inclinations, our own compulsions. Right? I mean, look, you get us out of church for three months, out of the Word of God for three months, and out of prayer for three months, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I guarantee you, most everybody in here, including this guy, would somehow or another already be straying. Because we don't naturally go towards him. We naturally stray from him. And that's what makes us D-U-M-B sheep. Right? Now, he says, we've turned everyone to his own way. And that is why the Lord had to lay on him the iniquity of us all. Because we had all gone astray. We were all chasing our own way. And there is a way that seems right to the natural eyes of man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. So the ways that we go naturally when we stray are the ways of death. Isaiah points here to one of the main reasons we human beings are compared to sheep. Like sheep, we are fearful, we're timid, we're stubborn, and often stupid in our decision-making. And we have also perverse habits that bring destruction to our lives, do we not? Oh, yeah. Left to ourselves, we, we'll, we'll start the drinking or we'll start the drugging or we'll start whatever. Get you hooked or messes your life up and brings destruction. That, that's what we do as natural D-U-M-B sheep. Stupid in our decision making. When was the last time you said to yourself, well, that was a stupid decision? Come on, let me see. In the last three months, did you say that to yourself? Come on. I'm not going to go any closer than that. I don't want to embarrass you. But, but don't we? Even when we know the right thing, we know what the Word of God says. I was dealing with somebody this week. I was dealing with somebody this week who, who had been straying. And I was talking with them at Starbucks where the anointing of God always rests. Okay, and and I was and they were talking to me about their their life, and they were saying, "Oh, I love, I, I I want Jesus," and "Oh yeah, I'm a Christian." I said, "Really?" But but then you went and you did, and I and I reiterated to them what they had already told me, and I said, "Was it God's will for you to go do that?" Well, probably not. They're sipping their coffee, and I could tell what they're thinking. Did I really set this meeting up? <laughs> and so then I said. Uh, so, so it wasn't God's will. No, no, probably wasn't. And I said, well, but you knew the right thing, right? Because you know the verse, because I, I told you the Bible verses before you went and did this, this D-U-M-B thing. And they said, yep, 
you did, and, and no, it was wrong. I said, why'd you go and do it? I don't know. That's what that D-U-M-B sheep say. When you say, why'd you do that wrong thing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. You got me? I don't know. I know. You're a D-U-M-B sheep, and so am I. And we will naturally wander. That's what it's telling us. Isaiah, we, have, we go astray, and we turn to our own way, and that's when we get into trouble. So spiritual maturity is, and I was telling this person this, I, I asked them, I said, can the Bible tell you what to do? And they said, well, sure. What do you mean by that? And I said, what I mean is Jesus is Lord, and if he's Lord, then he gave us an instruction manual how to live. And that instruction manual tells us how to live morally, ethically, philosophically, theologically, financially, and all the ways that life uh, pertains to life, the instruction manual tells us how to live. So I ask you again, can the Bible tell you what to do? When you know what it has said to you, do you let it tell you what to do? Because that's how you submit to the Lordship of Christ, when you submit to the authority of the Word. Didn't mean to meddle. I didn't mean to meddle, because how many times have I gone off and done done dumb D-U-M-B things more than I would ever want you to know. You wouldn't come to church if you knew how many D-U-M-B things I've done. And isn't it hard when you do D-U-M-B things and then you get those consequences and, and, and you know you can't say the devil made me do it because it was you doing a D-U-M-B thing. And so you got to own it. And so anyway, me and, me and this person at the Starbucks had a, had a really good talk, about two hours, and they sent me an email the next day uh, showing me what brand new Bible plan they had gotten on to go through the Bible in a year every day. And I said, good, because that's the instruction manual for living. And when you know you're a D-U-M-B sheep and you know you need an instruction manual, you grab that Bible and say, teach me today, lead me today, because I'm a D-U-M-B sheep right? And I need help. Well, this is going to go over big on the radio. I can tell right now. All right. I, so the entirety of Psalms 23 describes how our own good shepherd spares no pains to see to our welfare. Let's look at a few of these descriptions, just a few. First, a shepherd in David's time, watch this, this is powerful. And I'm sure in our day still, always marked his own sheep by cutting into their ear with his own distinctive mark. This is where the phrase earmark comes from. He would take each sheep, lay her ear on a wooden block, and then cut deeply into it with the razor edge of the knife. There was pain for both the shepherd and the sheep. But watch this. From their mutual suffering, an indelible, lifelong mark of ownership was made that could never be taken away. Now, follow me. This is powerful truth for you and me. Once this mark of ownership was cut into one of their ears, the shepherd could tell from a distance which one was his and which one was not. Listen, sometimes we get confused about who's really saved and who really isn't because sometimes the tares grow right up next to the wheat. But Jesus knows immediately those that are his and those that are not. For we Christians, here's our mark of ownership. The sheep gets that ear cut. 
What do we get? The mark of ownership for us is the cross. The cross. It's, it's the cross that identifies us as belonging to Christ. It's the cross. Jesus told his true followers, pick up your cross. Everybody say my cross. He didn't say a cross. He didn't say my cross. He said pick up your cross daily and follow me. Now, let me just pause a minute and clarify for you what that means. I've had people who are, like, say, really sick, like dealing with some chronic uh, physical infirmity, and they've said to me these words, well, this is just my cross to bear. And I, I don't necessarily say anything because they're already hurting. I don't want to correct them. But I walk away thinking this to myself, no, that's not what Jesus meant by your cross, my cross. That's not, that's not what he meant. Here's what he meant. When your will comes up against God's will, you choose God's will over your will. And that's your cross. That's your cross. That's it. So you really want to date this person. I mean, you, you are just so convinced that this person is just the cat's meow and, and you've got to go out with them and, and, and then you find out right before you go out with them that they're not a believer. You go, oh, well, they're really nice. We have great chemistry. We this and that and the other. And, and you start, and then you remember the verse, be not unequally yoked with an unbeliever. And now you've got a decision to make. Am I going to pick up my cross and die to myself and live unto him? Or am I going to cherry pick the words and say, well, I like these verses, but I don't like these. And so I'm going to go out with them anyway. Bless God. Hallelujah. Kumbaya. Because I'm blessed and highly favored and God will bless me and I'll probably lead them to Christ. But you don't know any of that. It's real quiet in here. <laughs> and, and you can extrapolate this in, into any one of a thousand different scenarios in life. But the bottom line is my cross, your cross, my cross may not be your cross. Your cross may not be mine. You may be dealing with something that your will is wanting to do that I'm not dealing with. But I regularly, pretty regularly, let me ask you this one. It's really tough, is it not, when somebody does you wrong and you don't want to forgive. Man, the last thing you want to do is forgive. You would rather go meet them in a back alley and execute Texas justice and then repent, say, hallelujah, praise God. Lord, forgive me. But, but watch this. Jesus said, forgive or you won't be forgiven. So we get really hurt or offended by somebody. And, and, and everything in us wants to hold a grudge, do, do some slandering against them, turn some people against them, take some vengeance. But then here comes the word. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. You forgive because I'll take care of it. And then we have a cross to pick up or a cross to not pick up. That's what he meant by the cross. Everybody understand? Yeah. So just as the earmark on the sheep signified he was no longer his own, but would from then on serve his owner, as you and I pick up the cross on a daily basis, we're saying, I'm no longer my own. I belong to another. When I make that decision to forgive or that decision to obey the Lord against my own will, then I am saying I'm his and I'm not my own. And he's my shepherd, and therefore he's the boss, so I submit. And, and when I walk and, and carry that cross and pick up my cross when need be, then I, that's the mark of ownership. 
The Bible says you're not your own. We're bought at a price, the blood of Christ. We now belong to the good shepherd. He puts his mark upon us, the cross of Christ. So in light of this, let's ask ourselves a few questions before we deal with the second part of this verse. Do I really belong to him? That's worth asking. I may even speak on that this Sunday. I may speak on literally evidences of true salvation. Do I really belong to him? Because if I belong to him, even though it hurts, I'm not saying perfectly, I'm not saying 100% of the time, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to please God by picking up that cross when need be. Here's another question. Do I pick up my mark of ownership, the cross, daily? Daily. Amen, Pastor Jeff. I, I'm, I'm with you. I, I'm on it now. All right. Here's one more question. Do I have peace and freedom under this arrangement of he's the shepherd and I'm not? Do I have peace and freedom? Or am I always kicking against it? Right? If so, then we can proudly say with David, say it with me, everybody. The Lord is my shepherd. Amen. Give the Lord a hand. Amen. Do you know, I got to tell you this. I'm just being honest. The day after I met this person at Starbucks, something happened in my life where my flesh rose up. And I was carrying, and it was, it was just a situation, no sin involved or anything. I'm just saying I had a situation where that really triggered me. And, and I was kind of carrying it and nursing it and rehearsing it. And then the Lord snuck up to me, kind of eased in slow and said, what did you tell him last night? What'd you ask him? I asked him if, if the word of God could tell him what to do. And he said, well, then I'm asking you, can my word tell you what to do? I said, got me, Lord. You got me. And I took care of it. Amen. Amen. Isn't it good to be honest in the house of God? So in light of the Lord being our shepherd, David next makes a great, powerful declaration. Say it with me. I shall not want. Now let's go a little deeper than the way we usually see this. Not only is this a declaration of trust in the Lord's provision, he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider, but it's also a statement of contentment. I shall not want anything beyond his will for me because I'm content. I'm not going to crave or desire other things. Because his provision is enough. My shepherd takes care of me. His provision is sufficient. I am content. Now you got to go to the Apostle Paul here. Remember when he said, I've learned to be abased, have next to nothing. And I've learned to abound, have more than I need. In everything, both when I'm full and when I'm empty, I've learned to be content. Okay, that goes directly to the second part of verse one. Paul is saying, because he's my shepherd, I shall not want. Even if I have little, I will be content because my shepherd is more than enough for me. Can I tell you the truth? I would rather live in a little shack with Jesus and his peace than live in a giant mansion 
with trouble and turmoil and disconnected from God. Because listen, when you're, when you're in turmoil and trouble, no place is big enough. No bed is soft enough. All the money in the world is not enough if you are troubled. Because the Bible says the wicked have no rest. So keeping this in balance, here's what David is saying. He's not saying that he'll never have a need. When he says, I shall not lack, he's not saying there, I will never have a need. I'll never go through trials. I'll never experience lack. That is not what he's saying. I shall not want. He's not saying I'm always going to have everything I need when I need it as much as I need. That is not what he's saying there. He's not painting a walk with God as problem-free. And if I told you he was, I'd be lying to you and setting you up for disillusionment. One of the fallacies among Christians today is the belief that financial prosperity is the mark, the mark, a major main mark of God's blessing on their lives. That's simply not so. Now, I can, I can back that up, and my authority is the Bible and nothing else. My opinions are no better than yours. So let's, what does the Bible say? Well, we see that our world is filled with wealthy people that live wicked lives. I mean, I'm seeing extremely wealthy people in our society doing really wicked things all the time. Okay? And then I see people of faith that have little of this world's goods. Didn't James say that? James said, we see the poor of this world rich in faith. Now, I'm not putting a premium on being poor at all. All I'm saying is to equate faith with material possessions is a mistake. Because isn't it more so that even if you have little, your faith brings peace to you power to you, strength to you, fellowship to you with Jesus Christ, and your faith carries you through those lean times. So that's why Paul said, if I've got a bunch, I'm content, and if I've got next to nothing, I'm content, because I've learned to be content. Content. Jesus tells the Laodicean church in Revelation 3, 17, you say I'm rich. You say, I've got everything I want. Now, they're talking about money here and material goods. I don't need a thing. But listen to Jesus now. This is Jesus talking to this church. You don't realize that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. That's bad. That's five bad adjectives. I don't want any of them. I don't want wretched. I don't want miserable. I don't want poor. I don't want blind. I don't want naked. All right? But look here. They're materially rich, but where's their faith? It's in trouble. It's about shipwrecked. It's lukewarm. But they have a lot of goods. So we see here that where faith does not equate into material prosperity all the time, also it, the opposite is true. If you've got a bunch of material prosperity, it does not mean you've got great faith. Did not David himself go through years of hardship? The one who wrote, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I mean, folks, for 10 years, he lived in caves, in the open fields, with one eye open, always looking for the stalker, Saul, who was trying to kill him 24-7 for 10 years. 
And all he had was hand to mouth. All he had was what they could kill that day to eat. Many believe he actually wrote the 23rd Psalm during this lean time of running from Saul. So what David is actually saying is this. I shall not lack the expert care and management of my master no matter the circumstances. No matter the circumstances. So tonight, if you have little, Paul says you can be content with your shepherd. If you have much, he says you can be content with your shepherd. If you're in between, you can be content with your shepherd. Amen? The Lord is my shepherd. No matter what my circumstances are, I shall not lack because he pulls in the slack for everything I don't have. He makes the difference. Most of the greatest spiritual blessings that have ever come to me in my life, and I've had some very strong ones. I'll never forget when God touched me by the power of the Holy Spirit one night in a way that I'm telling you absolutely overwhelmed me, blew my mind, rocked my world, revolutionized my life, thrust me into the ministry. There's never been anything like it. But you know when it happened? When I was wearing old bell-bottom blue jeans and a pullover shirt and old tennis shoes and didn't have a job or a dime to my name, he blessed me. And you know what? That night, I was rich. Rich, rich, rich. Amen. Philip Keller, who wrote a tremendous book called the 23rd Psalm, was a real shepherd for many years, and he writes about his own sheep farm. This one, this got me, because I love animals. But his own sheep farm was right next to one that had hired out a tenant sheep man, in other words, a hireling, to care for the sheep rather than the owner caring for them. And he describes how badly these sheep were neglected by the hireling. The land was neglected. He gave little or no time to the flock, the hireling. He left them to forage for themselves in summer, hot summer months. In the freezing winter months, they were left to forage for themselves, find whatever they could to stay alive. They fell prey to dogs. They fell prey to cougars and rustlers. They had only polluted, muddy water to drink. They were a pathetic, skinny, scrawny sight. And if those sheep could have spoken, they would likely have said, I would give anything to be delivered from this awful owner. In all their pain and want, the hireling simply didn't care. And Keller sadly remembers them standing in little knots, staring wistfully through the wires of the fence at the rich pastures on the other side where Keller was the shepherd. Now, I want to stop and think here for a minute. This is a perfect picture of a lost and dying world under the harsh rule of an uncaring devil. Amen? Amen. They're famished for the green grass of God's Word and the quenching waters of His Spirit. They peer into the peace and contentment of the sheep in Jesus' pasture and wish for the same. Amen? Come on. And, and that's why we ought to have a burden for lost people. Because we used to be on the other side of that fence. You remember looking in. And I remember looking in. Matter of fact, that's how the Spirit of God came upon me the night I was just describing to you. I went to a Bible study. And I had not experienced the power of the Holy Spirit like I saw the people there that night had. 
and I was the sheep looking through the fence at them, weeping and crying in the presence of God, big smiles on their faces, worshiping God in liberty and truth. And it made me, it made me jealous. It made me want what they had. And I said, God, if you'll give me what they have, I'll give up anything, go anywhere, do anything. And God said, you got it. And it came upon me. And I got put on the other side of the fence. But it was watching people on the other side of the fence that made me go, I don't have that. That's what churches are supposed to do. Make people hungry. Make people thirsty. Make people long for God. I want to be that rich green pasture on the other side of the fence that the lost look at and go, where did they get that? I want that. I want the shepherd they've got. This is why Jesus called the church. Jesus said to the church, let your good works shine in front of men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Be drawn by what you have. Amen? So one thing is certain, everybody, it's the boss, the manager, the master in people's lives who make the difference in their destiny. Again, Jesus said, I'm the good shepherd. What shepherd are you walking under tonight? And I'll say to those watching by, by video, we love you. Thank you for joining us. And I ask you, and about your neighbors, your coworkers, your children, your parents, those in your orbit, who's their shepherd? What, what does their life look like? It takes me about five minutes to tell who somebody's shepherd is when I get with them. It doesn't take long because I know my shepherd. He fulfills. He gives peace. He gives joy. He gives strength. He gives purpose. He gives meaning. He gives vision. All of the above and more. So who, who's your shepherd? Who, who's our shepherd here tonight? Jesus is the owner who delights in his flock. He's the shepherd for whom no trouble is too great as he cares for his flock. He's the rancher who is outstanding because of his love for the sheep. He will, if necessary, be on the job 24 hours a day to see that you are properly provided for. And if necessary, he will. And folks, he did give his life for the sheep. He threw himself in front of the ultimate predator, the roaring lion, the devil. And he died in our stead and shed his blood. And when he did, he defanged the devil. And he set us free. He purchased us out of bondage. And aren't you glad he brought us into a brand new kingdom with a brand new shepherd? So let's stand together tonight.